Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 81. Hello, my beautiful, beautiful friends. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Avanti, and I'm so happy to have you here joining this beautiful community. We have had so many new listeners joining every single week, and I am so grateful to all of you for sharing the podcast with other people. You are the reason that this podcast continues to grow so much. You are the reason that I'm here every week, pouring my heart into bringing you informative, interesting episodes with thought leaders in integrative health and integrated healing to help you on your healing journey. Nothing makes me happier than hearing from all of you about how this podcast has helped you. And so I have a request of you. If you found this podcast helpful, please take just 60 seconds to write a five-star review on your favorite listening platform with a few words about how this podcast has helped you. Your reviews are the number one way that this show will grow and get to more people who really need this information. There's a link in the show notes. So go ahead and pause this episode and write a review if you haven't already. I would be so incredibly grateful to you. And if you write a review, take a screenshot and send it to me on Instagram in my direct messages, along with your full name and your email address. And I'll send you access to my new three-day energy reset program for free. Okay, so let's get into today's episode as we continue to explore this month's intention of relationships and our health. Today, I'm joined by Terry Cole, licensed psychotherapist, relationship expert, author of Boundary Boss, podcast host of The Terry Cole Show, and TEDx speaker. Prior to her current incarnation as a love and boundaries expert, Terry was a bi-coastal talent agent negotiating endorsement contracts for supermodels and celebrities. Her disenchantment with the world of entertainment led her to change careers in her 30s to become a psychotherapist and empowerment expert. She has since made it her mission to teach as many women as possible to establish and maintain effective boundaries with ease and create and sustain healthy, vibrant relationships. For over two decades, Terry has worked with a diverse group of clients that includes everyone from stay-at-home moms to celebrities and Fortune 500 CEOs. Her approach combines the best of Western psychology and Eastern mindfulness practices. She really has a gift for making complex psychological concepts really accessible and actionable so that clients and students achieve sustainable change. She inspires over 450,000 people weekly through her blog, social media, signature courses, and her popular podcast. In our conversation, Terry and I talk about making friends as adults and how our past traumas, attachment styles, and communication skills play into our friendships. We also discuss the liking gap and our cultural definitions of love, romantic love versus platonic love, and how we can start to shift these narrow views of what love is. Terry also shares why boundaries are so important in friendships and gives us some simple tips for making friends as adults. I'm so happy to share my conversation with Terry Cole about making friends as adults as we explore relationships and our health. Well, hello, Terry. It's so great to be back with you on the podcast. It's been two years, I think, since we spoke on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me back, Avanti. I'm so excited to be here with you. And, you know, this month we're talking about relationships and our health. And, you know, this idea in Ayurveda that everything in our life, every aspect of life affects our health. And relationships is one of the keys that I find that a lot of people sort of brush to the side, don't think about how that's affecting their health. And so I thought it would be a really great month, given that it's February, there's a lot of drama and stress around, you know, holidays this month and love and relationships. I thought this would be a good time to talk about relationships. And 
something that you and I were thinking about talking about is actually friendships and friendships as adults. I know this has been coming up a lot in a lot of my conversations with students and patients and clients, but also uh, in my personal life with my friends and with my, my sister, who's two years younger than me, you know? And I thought, you know, this is a really interesting topic coming out of the pandemic, how so many people have social anxiety, but there's so many different aspects to this that I thought, who else to talk about this with but you, because you are a relationship expert. And I thought, let's dive in. Yeah. Right on. I love it. Okay. Well, so, you know, I've been doing some reading as I always do before I do any topic or have any interview. And what's been coming up in some of the articles that I've read, some of the psychology journals as well, is this idea of love. And let's start there. You know, the cultural definition of love. And this kind of goes along with the theme of February and how there's so much emphasis on romantic sexual love, you know, versus platonic love. And let's start there because I feel like we have such a narrow cultural definition of it that that's where so many issues start for so many of us in how we define love. So let's start there. What are your thoughts about that? What I see in my therapy practice is that love, you know, we have all these downloaded blueprints right in our unconscious mind about all the things, whether it's money, whether it's boundaries, whether it's love. And so we've been taught about what love looks like, how it should be. And what I feel like I help clients do if they're either having difficulty finding relationships that are satisfying or whether they're in a relationship that is unsatisfying or they're not getting their needs met, is that we really have to deconstruct that the paradigm in the unconscious mind about what did you learn about love from the family that you grew up in? If you had two adults in your life, whether they were your parents or an aunt and uncle, whoever the grownups were, you know, what did you see? And I can say in my own growing up, I saw a marriage I wouldn't want and it wasn't horrendous. It was very traditional. My father was very dutiful, but my mother did all the emotional labor and raising of the kids and gave up going to college because she got pregnant, like all these things where I was like, nope, 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 nope. And it made, and then my parents got divorced. And it sort of made me feel, I kind of went the other way and really thought I'd never get married. But keep in mind, I also had been in therapy since I was 19. So I was reflecting, self-reflecting, being curious. And certainly I repeated unhealthy love patterns before I figured it out and ended up marrying my husband 25 years ago and all of those things. Um, but I think that we have to look at what is, the, what is our downloaded love blueprint about? And are we unconsciously playing out something that when we bring it up into the conscious mind, we go, no, nah, I don't really want to be doing that, but I am. Why am I doing that? Right. Yes, absolutely. Because I do think that we're so affected by this blueprint of what we see growing up around us. And then I also think that it's also nurture. It's the society that we live in, right? Because there's so, so much emphasis on this idea of romantic love. So when you're little, it's a, you know, the princess movies or, you know, the, the fairy tales of, you know, someone coming and swooping in and saving the day and it's all romantic, right? Versus what maybe a more esoteric, spiritual, expanded definition of love is between human beings, right? And it's almost like that is as we get older and maybe not so much, you know, in my college age kids, they're so open to so much experimentation and so many new things. And I feel like as we get a little older into our 30s, 40s, 50s, right? That this idea of platonic love and having those intense very strong feelings for people who maybe are not your romantic sexual partner is something that is looked down upon or sort of like, oh, that's kind of weird. I don't know how that fits into what you've seen in your psychotherapy practice of how do people deal with that? Because there's so much loneliness right now. And I feel like we all are looking, you know, there's so many people just looking for that romantic love as the thing to hold on to. But there's so much love around us if we look at it. All right. So two things. I want to go back to this whole idea of the princess and being saved. And I mean, we have to look at the fact that that's predicated on this patriarchal system. Like 
who the needs saving? I don't. Right. But but those those stories are like someone uh, the night in, you know, in, you know, the white knight in shining armor is going to come and save you from what? And yet we don't think about that, right? Little girls dreaming about their wedding day and have, you know, all these television shows. She said yes to the dress and all of this stuff around. And if we spent even half as much time teaching people how to be in healthy relationships, how to draw healthy boundaries, how to effectively communicate, you know, the divorce rate wouldn't be, what is it, 54% now? I mean, so I think that one thing is that there is a cultural element and it depends on the culture that you grow up in, how valuable you are as a woman if you are unmarried. So I know you and I grew up in very different cultural upbringings and there was not pressure actually in my particular home I'm sure because of my mother's experience, she was like, get an education, girl, make your own money. Like literally, she was like, maybe if you do those things, love can be a choice and not a need for you, right? Because she quit college and was pregnant and then suddenly had four little kids. And, you know, there there wasn't a lot of choice after that. I know for sure that's how she felt. So I think that analyzing and looking at what are the cultural um, influences and the pressure because there's there's family pressure and peer pressure to in many 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 cultures still to be married. Now I feel like with the younger generation and the people maybe under thirty or under twenty five, there's less. Right, people are having kids by themselves. They're adopting alone. They're they're just with partners for many many years and not feeling the need to get married. So I do think that it's slowly but surely changing, but I feel like for the majority or me, I don't know, I don't know what the statistics are, but I can just say that I know from my therapy practice, people still feel um, pressure and then you have it mixed with, there still is a desire to start your own family, create your own sort of nuclear family, you know, getting away from your your, um, family of origin and sort of doing it your own way. So that was one thing. I wanted to say just about the the whole thing about love that it's it's really valuable to self-reflect and to take time to maybe journal and think about what do you believe about love and marriage and partnership and you know do you feel like you won't be worthy in a societal way if you don't have those things. And maybe you don't feel that way at all, but I feel like it's a valuable inquiry for anyone who's sort of struggling with this. But to get to the second thing that you talked about, which is platonic, deep and abiding, satisfying, gratifying, platonic love. It's so funny that you called me to do this because I just, it's not even out in the world that I just did an episode of my, a solo episode of my podcast on the value of female friendships. What I see in my therapy practice is that women who have satisfying and healthy female friendships, because I really honestly, Avanti, I see it going one of two ways. One is that you've, you've kind of figured it out and you have this, this safe space, this soft place to land in the world with these friendships, with these people who want you to win these people who make your burdens lighter and who amplify your wins, like just, they just love you. They're not guilting. They're not trying to make you. It's, you know, uh, Jennifer Gardner had this great quote about friendship that really resonated with me. And she's like, I don't have any friends in my life who would make me feel guilty. Like friendships, first of all, they're voluntary. And secondly, I could not see a really close friend for two years and we just pick up where we left off. But anyone who's like, I don't understand why you're not doing X, Y, and Z. She's like, I just don't got time. I was like, yeah, me neither. But I think that it's one of two ways, the healthy relationships. And then a lot of times we are playing out unresolved childhood injuries in our friendships. So my clients who have a punitive mother have super judgmental friends who they're seeking their approval and they're, the friend is withholding the approval. You know what I mean? You can just see mm-hmm. the patterns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And so, you know, what I want to touch on is, is something that you said about this, the need for being partnered in a romantic sexual love sort of relationship. And it's very interesting because I feel like that need is collapsed with the idea of what love is, right? So it's almost like partnering. Yes, it's biological. It's definitely something that, you know, many of us want to do, but it's almost like another layer gets put onto it where it's almost like it's a need that if you don't have that, then you are not fill in the blank, whatever it is, right? And so it's almost like there's this hierarchy of love, right? And friendships that are deep and really, really intense and really, really um, beautiful and maybe just as strong as a romantic love, those are sort of said, you know, so many people will say, well, that's not the same or that's not enough or I'm not enough, right? Because I only have those relationships. I don't have the others. And so I feel like so much of this, and again, this is coming up in so many conversations about you know, partnering versus not partnering, loneliness, and then sort of feeling alone, even though you have lots of people around you. Where are those definitions of love? Even though it's almost like you have all this love around you, but you can't see it, maybe? Yeah, because it's like, you don't, if, if you're not partnered and you value that in a way, and if it, if it is speaking to your worth, if you feel like being partnered would make you more worthy in a societal standing or whatever, then of course you're going to feel less than. And I think that we also have to bring into this conversation, some people really want to have kids and they don't want to do it alone. And so it really depends on what your, what is driving your desire. Because of course, having incredible friendships is not the same as having a romantic relationship. It isn't the same, but it doesn't mean that quality-wise it isn't as valuable when you're talking about the quality of your relationships, your internal experience, people you can count on. But what I've seen is that a lot of times women who are partnered have good marriages. They're playing out these unresolved childhood experiences. They have more drama in their friendships than they do in their partnership. And I can't tell you, Avanti, how many times people have come up to me after speaking gigs or wherever, and they'd be what I where I was talking about boundaries, and they'd be like, I need to break up with a friend. And I I don't know how to do it. And I would always say, Well, why do you why do you need to? Person's unhealthy, they're jealous, they're jealous of me, they're possessive, they're this, they're mad all the time at me, whatever. Okay. And then I would say, have you had a conversation with them? And they'd be like, oh no, no, it's impossible. I can't. I'm like, well, I think there's a lot between we've been supposed best friends for 20 years and now I'm going to cut off contact with you, which you have every right to do. But you, I, I also think it might make sense to have a conversation and assert your boundaries. But this is where the whole boundary work comes in where sometimes people are so afraid and feel so ill-equipped to assert in words, actually say what they need or what's not working. Like, hey, friend, I noticed that you're jealous of all my other friends, and it makes me not want to tell you about the other things I do. And if we're going to stay friends, you need to accept that I'm going to have plans with other people that doesn't always include you. That doesn't mean I don't love you. It means I have separate relationships. And if that person loses their mind and starts blocking you or whatever, then you know they can't handle it. But what you don't know that unless you have the conversation. So it's like we never get a pass <laughs> on having the hard conversations if we want relationships to be healthy or to work. Right, because it's, it's a relationship at the end of the day. So I want to touch on something that you got at which is this idea of breaking up with a friend. We'll get there. But before we do, you were talking about how a lot of drama that you see in, in your therapy clients is, you know, they have pretty solid relationships with their partner, their romantic partner, but then all this drama is playing out with their friendships, right? And so I wonder, I've been reading a lot about attachment styles and how does that come into our ability to make friends. You know, we're specifically talking about friends. So let's, we'll stay on that topic. But 
does that because some of that drama is playing out. Does that have something to do with our attachment styles and the ability to make friends? Well, I mean, when you think about what attachment styles are, I mean, usually we we refer to them um, as they impact romantic relationships and primary relationships. But listen, if you're insecurely attached, you and you feel insecure, you may feel insecure in all of your relationships. You know, you may be checking. You may feel like your friend doesn't really want to spend time with you or is doing it as a favor. So how does this, now if we look at what I was saying, people who don't have drama in their romantic, right? To me, I, I feel like if you have drama in your friendships, but have a solid partnership, let's say, you're playing something else out. So a lot of times it's what you saw or it's the familial um, paradigm, this dynamic that you grew up with, that you're playing out in your friendships, because we don't always play them out in, it, it doesn't mean it gets played out in every relationship, especially if the injury was like a mother injury, then it's, th there is a possibility that you will find older women to mentor you or friends who act older or who are bossy or who are controlling or who are codependent. And you're, you're trying to write a situation with your mother in that friendship. So I, you know, I'm not positive exactly how attachment styles, I almost feel like it's, it's really trying to um, heal the original familial injury in the friendship. And I think sometimes you can. Just the same way that Harville Hendricks and his wife, Helen, you know, they, they created Imago therapy and, you know, they talk about how a lot of times we are drawn to people in a romantic way who will mirror our childhood wounds, almost in this hopeful way that it will, we will be able to create a different ending if we can work on it together. But, you know, we, we recognize people right? Unconsciously and energetically. We're like, oh, my father was unavailable. Look at you. You live on another continent. I think you're perfect romantic material for me. Like there, there's a way that we just are drawn to this familiar experience, you know? Right. Yeah. Because I think that also attachment styles or, you know, the way that we relate to other people, it's almost like predictive or like predictions, right? that we are predicting how someone else is going to relate to us, right? And so then we behave a certain way, which then causes them to behave a, a certain way. It's almost like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like it's, it's like what you believe is going to play out in your relationship, right? Because if I behave in this way where I, you know, push somebody away because of my attachment style or sort of my upbringing with my family, right? I push them away. Well, then before they can do anything, because I've already assumed that they're going to push me away. I've predicted it. They're going to behave that way. So it's almost like, oh, of course it, it, that happened because, right, they're responding to you. So it's almost like it, our beliefs about the relationships that were formed when we were children then can play out in all of our relationships, right? Whether it's a romantic relationship, a friendship, um, and I do think that affects, you know, how you view other human beings and your ability to make new friends at different points in your life, whether you're just graduating from college or in your 50s like me, you know, suddenly your children are out of the house and, you know, you're living in the city and you're doing different things. And it's sort of like, OK, so now what do I do with my time? I need to add some community and connection to my life. So I don't know. These are things that I've been thinking about. I know what you think about that. Well, I think that the it's I hear this a lot from women who are beginning to empty nest and empty nesting that, you know, we pour ourselves into kids because college and all the things, all the things that you got to do on top of having careers, on top of building empires or whatever else we're doing. And then a lot of that energy when kids are out of the house and kind of on their own, even if they're in college, they're not living at home. And now there's this opening for something else. And I also see that women in their 50s, many of us have done a lot of work. So we've evolved. And even though we have old friends, and I have plenty, there's also something um, exciting and interesting about 
meeting people now, where we are now in our own personal evolution, meeting people who have similar interests and people who've also done work and people who, whether it's interests that, you know, you're, you know, you, you're protecting the environment or whatever, whatever your interests are. I feel like at this age, we're so much more developed as human beings. I mean, certainly if you've, if you've done your work, but also if you've lived, right? If you've lived, you've changed in 30 years, you know what I mean? And so there's, there's a desire to um, make meaningful attachments with people who you can be yourself with, with people you can be honest with. Right. And also be yourself with in your current state of life, because this is, this is an interesting point that you're getting to is that, you know, again, as someone who's in her fifties, me, you, right. We have friendships from 30 years ago, 40 years ago, right. And they have a long history, but again, those started when we were different people in many ways, because we've matured, we've changed those 30 years ago, we were little kids. Right. And so I think that there's also a lot of stigma around you have these old friends and suddenly now there's new people in your life and you have intense relationships because you are meeting them in a different way, right? You're not meeting them through school or through family where there's this shared experience going on. You're going out and creating experiences, you know, um, going after new passions and meeting people who have exactly what you said, you know, interests that you have, but there's always this feeling of like, oh, I just met this person two months ago and I feel so close to them. Is that weird? Are they going to think it's weird? I know that that's gone through my head. And let's talk about that because I think a lot of people are probably a little afraid to sort of put it all in there and say, I really enjoy being around you without feeling like they might get rejected, you know, because we think that it takes a long time to make friends like that? Well, I, my, my thought about the, the natural development of any relationship, my feeling is slow and steady is the way to go. Let's give people a chance to show us their emotional trustworthiness. We'll do the same. So, you know, it's almost like new friendships are like courting, where it's like you take your time to to get to know because I do think that even though sometimes it feels really good like you meet someone and you kind of want to say all the things and tell that they tell you all the things and it's one thing if you're on a a weekend retreat let's say and maybe you will or won't spend time with them again it feels good to just be super honest with a complete stranger in a sacred or safe container it just is very liberating i find but i also think that i mean listen you can make incredibly meaningful relationships at any age. It's the same exact way we just look at how does the how does the person regard you? How is the person treating you? Do they get back to you in a timely fashion? Do they keep their word? Do they do what they say they're going to do? I look at new friendships. It's funny because I, I, I don't have a lot of time in my life. And there's certain things that are deal breakers, right? The way that I teach boundaries, we have right preferences, limits, and deal breakers. There are certain things for me. If you're like time challenged, I'm sorry, but we can't be friends. Like I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time to wait for you for 20 minutes on a street corner, which sounds mean. But I also know that that I have had relationships in my life with people who were very time challenged, and I was the other way, and it would become like resentment. I'm like, no, I, I don't, I don't need friendships at this age and stage to work anything out. I've, I've worked out my relationship to time and I can clearly state to someone, Hey, you were late. That's the thing. But I got to say, it, it's like a big, it's a thing for me. So, and so I think that knowing what we want at this age, we know ourselves so much better that you can be more straightforward, or at least I feel like I can than I ever would have been in my 20s about whatever it is. You know, someone's like, do you want to go on vacation with me somewhere? Or do you want to do whatever? And I don't feel bad saying no, or it doesn't, it just doesn't work right now. Where I feel like when I was younger, I would be very worried about being rejected by them or having them think I don't like them anymore or having them not like me anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's really interesting because I think that when we're younger, 
when we don't know ourselves that well, we are afraid to speak our truth and say how we want to be treated or, or ask for what we need, put the boundaries up, not put the boundaries up. I think it's very hard. And so then there's lots of people in our lives and we're not sure what we're doing, right? As we get older, I feel like we start to know ourselves. And so it becomes easier to start to discern. And so maybe that's what I'm getting at is that it is easier to discern when you meet new people. Yeah, I think I'd really get along with that person. Let me let me develop a friendship. Let me make an effort, right? I also think that there are probably some important things to think about when you are making friends. Let's let maybe let's dive into that and make this less esoteric cuz you and I could keep talking about all these different issues, but let's try and get some things that will be super helpful to the listeners is, you know, what are some things that you think are the most important aspects of making friends at any age? And and this probably comes in with a lot with your boundary work. Um, because I think we can talk about making new friends, but then also breaking up with old friends, because I think those are both boundary issues. And it's also about creating healthy relationships that support our health. As we say in Ayurveda, right? This is all about what are the things that are going to support our health, our joy, our vibrancy, um, having an optimal health, right? An optimal life. So let's talk about that. Well, I think you want to think about if you're in a situation where you're like, wow, I really want more friends, like I could use more friends. I want you to really think about what is it you want? Like, what is it that you want? Do you want a friend who's like an adventure partner who likes to do things, who's going to go to Broadway shows with you or walk in the park with you? Or, you know, is it like an athletic friend who you can meet every day to get some exercise? Is it like, what is it that you're looking for? Because usually, when we're feeling a calling for something, it's like if we can identify what the need is, it's so much easier to go about finding people who are going to be more likely to fill that need. And then you'll have, you know, you'll fill needs for them as well, of course. So I would first start with, are you looking for someone that you and your partner can be couple friends with? Or is it more that you're looking for like solo people that for, for you to have friendships with? Do you want someone to travel with? Maybe your partner doesn't like to travel, but maybe now you can and you want to. So again, that's like a more adventure friend. Um, So I would first start there. And once you know what it is you want to do, then there's places to go, right? There's, There's kind of online spaces for any interest that you may have. You can take a course, you can join a mastermind, you can do like, there's so many places to meet sort of like-minded, like-hearted folks. But once you kind of figure out what you're looking for, I think it makes it much easier to go about finding it. Yeah, for sure. And I think one other piece to that is maybe the mindset piece, right? I, I feel like you also have to find a way to go into these situations, assuming that people will like you, right? I read some studies on the liking gap which was really interesting. And there's all this research on the fact that people like us more than we actually think they do. And this is a mindset thing that we always, you know, most human beings go into situations thinking that, oh, no one's going to like me. And it's actually the exact opposite is what this research shows is that it's actually a very high percentage of most people like you without you saying anything more, or you can talk to them for a little while and they actually like you. And so I think that that puts up a barrier because if you go into those situations of, you know, like-minded people knowing what you're looking for, but then you have sort of this closed off energy and mindset that, well, no one's going to like me anyway, that right there is going to make it difficult. Yeah. And you also have to look at why, like, I'm very curious about that liking gap thing, because the question is. Why would you think that? Like, why, why would you think that? If you, the way that you um, carry yourself in the world, the kind of person that you are, you know who you are. There's nothing not to like about you. And if there is something not to like about you, why don't you take a look at it and do something about it? But like, generally <laughs> speaking, you know, the people who are worried about their likability are the people who are you know, wringing their hands and thinking about others and their kind. There's literally, I don't know, I, I, I can say personally, I'm not one of those people, 
in that, I always think, why not me? Like, like, why not? And, and again, it's not the mindset. I certainly don't think I'm perfect. I know I've got my flaws and my problems, but I'm a damn good friend and I'm funny and I'm nice and I'm smart. And it's like, I'm pretty likable according to me. <laughs> and I feel like that, that, that vibe, when you fall in love with yourself in a way that is healthy, where you have your own back, that energy also, it makes you a safe person, right? Because I go into situations, or if you have that, that sense of self, where you don't need, like we're not, we're not seeking other people to fill the bucket that only self-love can fill. And I got to say, I think that's a really important part of making healthy friendships is having a healthy relationship with yourself, because then you're, you're so much less likely to be playing out something. It's really simply, you know, as Danielle Laporte would say, like, it's simply for the love. It's simply for the joy, the camaraderie, the sisterhood, the how it feels to have a shared experience with someone. It's less about us, like. It's less about needing that friend, new or old, to make us feel a particular way. Of course, we want our friends. I expect my friends to make me feel important and respected and cherished in the same ways that I make them feel. You know, I mean, to hold me in high regard in the same way that I hold them in high regard, right? That's, to me, that's healthy friendships. Um, But when you do your own work, I feel like it makes friendships so much less complicated because I'm not, I'm not working out some unresolved something with this friend. I'm here fully, voluntarily for the love, you know, for the shared experiences, for the fun. Right. So it comes back to that same thought that we were talking about before, which is when you've done the work on yourself, when you know yourself, when you like yourself, love yourself, it does make e- it makes it easier to have relationships that are loving because you are al- already doing that for yourself. You're not trying to fill a need. I think that that's such an important point to click into because I feel mm-hmm. like that is such a basis for all our relationships, whether it's with a partner, our children, a parent, a friend, anyone. It starts there. It really does. I it starts there. totally agree. And an analogy, you can think of it this way. You ever had a massage? with a massage therapist who's really chatty, telling you all about their training, asking you questions about your life. And you're like, uh, hi, I just want to get a massage, please. No. That person, in my experience, needs something from me. Although I don't want them to need something from me. I just want to pay for my service and have them give me what I paid for, right? When you go to a massage therapist who's like, hey, where'd you like to start? Anything I need to know about? Okay, great put on the music, they turn down the lights and they do their thing. That massage therapist is someone I want to go back to because they don't need anything from me. And with friendships, I'm not saying we can't have needs, but we can't have core wound needs and expect that our friends are going to heal and or fulfill them um, without us doing the work to heal them. Make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have to heal it for ourselves. And then it becomes, it's almost like uh, the, the connections we have with other people become um, additive, not replacing, not trying to fill a gap, fill a hole, but actually it's overflow. You become overflowing because you just have so much more, right? It's not that, that it's trying to fill something all the time. Yes. And because you are the cake and you are perfectly delicious just as you are. And all of these other relationships are like icing and they make it sweeter and it's beautiful, but the cake is also good all by itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I love that. And so how do boundaries come into friendships? Old, new. I do think that that's so important. This idea of breaking up with old friends um, or people who are in your life. Let's talk about that. That's really your specialty of, you know, really coaching. What, what could you tell us about that? Well, you know, first let's establish, you know, what is it, according to me, you having healthy boundaries is I want you to think of them as your own personal rules of engagement. It lets other people know what's okay with us and what's not okay with us. 
So your boundaries are made up of your preferences, your limits, your desires, and your deal breakers. So they're not all made equal. So in friendships, just like in love relationships and family relationships, to the best of our ability, because listen, there's some relationships where if it's like your great grandfather, like you're like, whatever, however, however he wants to do it is probably how we're doing it. It's okay, (laughs) you know, but with where there's mutuality. So like friends, a lot of times we will go along to get along because we don't want to be a big mouth or a troublemaker. We don't want people to be mad that we don't want to do the thing they want to do. And this is where disordered sort of boundaries come in. Or someone says something that hurts our feelings and we don't say anything but we cop a resentment and we're holding that resentment. So I feel like boundaries are incredibly important, meaning communicating honestly, letting people know what your limits are, letting your friends know who you are, right? So if we don't share our preferences, our limits and our deal breakers, we're actually not sharing our authentic self with the people that we're trying to develop these deep relationships with. So if a friend steps over a line, I was saying before giving an example of a friend who is possessive and jealous, and if you have plans with someone else, they're like, why didn't you invite me, basically. And a boundary in that scenario is saying exactly what I said before. Hey, I love you, and I love lots of people, and I'm going to have... I want you to be, why can't you just be happy for me that I had a nice weekend with my other friends? It doesn't diminish what I do with you, but we have to have those conversations rather than just talk about that friend to our other friends, rather than just resent the crap out of that friend, because it happens where who the hell needs friendships that are making us feel guilty? Like I definitely do not, but it's, it's out there. And so when do we decide that a friendship I actually had so many questions about this that I created a little mini course called The Friendship Breakthrough or Breakup Guide, basically helping women in particular determine, like, can this friendship be saved? Like, you know, so part of it is if you know, maybe you've been friends with someone since second grade, but maybe you've outgrown that friendship for the past 15 years. And you're, it's, you know, I call them historical handcuffs, where like, you feel obligated, but you are not getting any joy. It feels like an obligation. And what I'm hoping to do and what I do in my practice, my courses, is just give people permission. Like every relationship in your life, besides your relationship with your children, is voluntary. Even your partner, even being married, even your parents. We are grown up. This this is voluntary. If you're, if you have a friend who's very toxic, they do not, it is a privilege to be in your life. Not everyone deserves to be in the VIP section of our lives, I like to say. And I think it's okay to sort of reassess and be like, do I want to spend my limited time and bandwidth with this person? Some people will say, well, that's cold. Here's the thing, you know, even, even believing in multiple lives on this planet, this is your only life this time around and your time is valuable. So think about who takes up those seats in your VIP section. Do they belong there? Is it mutual or is it because a lot of times I find with my therapy clients, they would end up having a lot of relationships with people who are takers where they're high functioning codependents. So they're the giver, giver, giver. And then they've got friends who are always in need and want to talk to them at two in the morning about the same bullshit with the boyfriend, the same, whatever, whatever the thing is. And you're like, what are you getting out of this? Because listen, it's 50%, every relationship is 50% you and 50% the other person, no matter how anybody is acting. Like that's all it can be, right? So I think that we have to give ourselves permission to go, okay, I'm going to do an inventory of especially if you're feeling sort of dissatisfied, and then look at what would need to change. Is it that you're not asserting your boundaries in this friendship? Is it that you're not telling the truth? Is it that you keep your phone on instead of turning your phone off at night? I mean, unless you have teenagers, then of course you have to keep it on. But like, if, if, if you can turn it off, 
Like you don't, because a lot of times we don't have good time boundaries ourselves. We're not protecting our sacred space. We feel like if someone needs something from us, we have to do whatever that thing is. And the truth is you really don't, right? You, you have choices, but a lot of us have been habitually the saver. And so we don't see that we have choices. So it's not just the other person. It's how you're interacting with the other person. But the point of the breakup is that you are the only person who can decide who has the privilege of being in your one and only life this time around, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really taking that inventory of even if it's an old historical relationship, because I do think that that's the hardest one, even for me personally, historical relationships that you've had 30 years of friendship and you're a different person now, right? They're a different person and it's not right or wrong, but is that relationship actually adding to your life still? And so this is where it comes down to having that inventory and it's either going to be a breakup or a breakthrough as what you're trying to get at, right? Is that you're either going to break through to the next level of friendship because you've had that honest conversation or you're going to break up and say, you know what? It's okay. We had our time. It was for a season. Now we're ready to move on sort of thing. Um, I think that that's really important. And what do you think is really needed to sustain friendships then? You know, like that would be sort of the next question of, all right, so you've decided you had a breakthrough with this person or you've made some new friendships. What do you think we each individually need to do to really nurture those relationships? I mean, mutuality is probably the most important thing where everyone has a chance to talk about what's happening. You're interested in what's happening in their life and they're interested in what's happening. Um, Remembering what they talk about, remembering what's important to them. Oh my gosh, didn't you tell me that you guys just went to Philly? How was, like, this is an effort to, we invest our attention and our time into folks and their experience. Being a good listener instead of don't be an auto advice giver, (laughs) right? Someone is telling you something, ask open-ended questions. Tell me more about that. What do you think you should do? Right, because so many of us are auto fixers, and it's it really limits the depth of intimacy in friendships because now we're centering that person's problem back on ourselves rather than being with them in that foxhole of their struggle. Right, we need to be able to tolerate new or old friends struggling without being like, I'm going to save you, because that sets up a dynamic that ends up creating unhealthy and relationships with a lot of resentment. So I think investing, listening, remembering, um, being thoughtful, and not playing that role. If you've always kind of been the one who organizes everything and who fixes everything and who people come to with their problems, you might be habituated to not share what's going on with you as readily as the other person. Because I've seen this so much where we can become like... um, professional interviewers almost in getting others to talk about themselves where we're like, Oh yeah, tell me more about that. We remember. Right. But do we also share? Because in order for a relationship, a friendship to really become a deep friendship, there has to be mutual, what I call voluntary vulnerability, not just dumping and like puking, you know, like your deepest, darkest on like date two of the friendship, but mutual vulnerability where there's a safe space for both of you to share things that are meaningful, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some key words that you said for me is that is going slow and steady, creating safety. That's a big one I'm hearing from you, having those boundaries, right? And then the mutuality, the reciprocity, right? Of sharing of, and of listening, of getting, because I do think that it can be so easy in that wanting to make new friends or wanting to have new connections that we just get in there and we're like, tell me all your problems. And then you want to problem solve and you want to be that quote, good friend of what you think a good friend is. And it doesn't end up being a good friend. And it just plays out all that drama from childhood of fixing things. Yeah. And it becomes unsatisfying for you. Right. 
right? There's going to be an eventuality where when we overgive and overfunction as high functioning codependents, we are we will end up that's like a slow boat to bitterland because sooner or later, the lack of reciprocity, even if we set it up that way, makes us angry. So yes, reciprocity is a great that's a great word, Avanti. That's yeah. correct. Yeah, no, it's great. I think this is really helpful to think about all of these different things as we're looking to make new friends, really coming out of this pandemic era of so much loneliness and wanting to make new connections. I do think that, you know, part of what happened during that time is that many of us, because we were physically distanced from people, there was an ability to sort of cleanse out our lives and decide who we want to be friends with. But I do think in the past year, it's become very difficult because all of a sudden everybody wants to connect and you're sort of like, oh my gosh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Right? Right. And, and do I want that? Exactly. Exactly. And that's, these are the conversations that are coming up. So I do think that this is really helpful talking about friendships and making new friendships. And thank you for all of your beautiful advice and thoughts. And where could people find the course that you talked about on breakthrough versus breakup with a friend? Is there a link that we can put in the show notes? Yes. Friendship Breakup or Breakthrough Guide. You go to terrycole.com and you'll see it in my where you can buy courses. We'll put a link to Terry's website in the show notes so that you can just go straight there and you'll be able to look at all of the different offerings that Terry has. Terry, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It has been so wonderful to connect with you. And thank you. I hope that we'll do it again. Yes, we will. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.